Check this out, y'all. Audio level full volume. It's your time. This is Border to Border with Matt Josephs. He's super famous. This guy's a fraud, a phony. I respect women. I love women. I respect them so much that I completely stay away from them. Matt, your manliness is overwhelming. Sports, 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 sports. Audio level full volume. It's go time. Here's Matt Josephs on Richmond's 1061 ESPN. Good afternoon, everybody. Border to Border, 1061 ESPN. Matt Josephs here on a Wednesday, start of November, the end of of October, the end of Halloween, and uh, the continuation of uh, the week here on the show as we get closer to the start of college basketball season, a busy weekend in college football and the NFL as well with plenty of News and notes to get to from the NFL. We will certainly get into that. Also taking a look at some bracketology for the FCS football. Uh, where are the Richmond Spiders? Where is William & Mary? Are either of them in in one bracketologist that I found? We'll get to that in just a moment. The first college football playoff rankings were out. Uh, no big deal on my end. Uh, I think everything looked kind of uh, as I would have probably approximately put it. The top four teams are the top four teams. Uh, so we have a couple guests on the show today. Coming up at 3.15, we're taking a break from Spider football today to do a little Spider basketball. Neil Quinn will join us. We'll get his thoughts as we enter uh, the basketball season starting on Monday. And uh, so Neil Quinn will join us today. Zeb Jackson, I did my interview with him earlier today. You'll hear that tomorrow on the show for you VCU fans. And then at 3.30, we're going to talk a little ACC football and a little JMU football Roddy Jones of the ACC Network, he did one or two, I believe, games of James Madison so far this season. We'll get his thoughts on what he's seen in the Dukes and what he's, you know, what he thinks about what the NCAA is doing to James Madison right now and what can be done other than potentially just rooting for a bunch of teams to not become bowl eligible. We'll also get his thoughts on the new scheduling model. Uh, we didn't really talk about that yesterday. I, I mean, it's ridiculous to look at teams traveling out to Stanford and Cal and hosting Stanford and Cal and SMU. Like, the whole thing just looks really weird. Uh, so if we have time, we'll get to that a little bit later. But those are our two guests today. Told you Zeb Jackson will be on the show tomorrow. On, and then Friday, we're going to have Tim Murray and Kevin Sheehan on the show to talk a little gambling and a little commander. So we got a lot to get into as the week goes along. But I want to start with this. I don't know. Obviously, Bob is not on today, so if he's listening, he's taking mental notes. He's going to use it on his show tomorrow. But i got to start with the World Series. And I'll tell you this. I've watched zero moments of it, zero seconds of it. I put a bet on the first game. I didn't win said bet. I said I can't mentally get into it. And, uh, you know, part of it is being a Phillies fan, a bitter Phillies fan, to say the least, uh, thinking that my team should still be in it. But several things have stuck me, struck me here. As we continue to see that each game is getting a lower rating than the previous one, and they're getting the lowest ratings in you know the history of the World Series, uh, and they're getting lower ratings than the 2020 strike year, which is interesting because everybody was home. It's not like anybody was going anywhere, uh, and not the strike year. You mean the pandemic year when nobody was in the stands? So obviously everybody was watching uh, baseball. They were home, and still nobody watched the World Series that year. And it stuck. A couple of things came out to me. Number one, the fact that we had in game four, which was yesterday, a bullpen game on both sides of the equation, it just strikes me wrong. And this is me being somewhat the old-fashioned type, the anti-analytics guy and everything. And, and look, the Rangers would have made a bullpen game even more if Andrew Heaney had been bad. They didn't expect him to go five solid innings. Um, 
But to see the Arizona Diamondbacks in the NLCS and the World Series go with a certified bullpen game, telling me that they do not have a fourth starting pitcher that they can use, that automatically sets me up for a a World Series that's going to be terrible. Like, who is excited? Because I think there's a lot of people who watch baseball or who follow things along and they look at the statistics of the starting pitchers. And they see last night Andrew Heaney. And they see last night Joe Mantiply, of course, Virginia Tech. Uh, we love Joe Mantiply. Um, they see their statistics. They see they're not going to last long in the game. And you know what kind of kills momentum when watching baseball games? Pitching changes. And then pitching changes. And then more pitching changes. And then more pitching changes. And then three batters layers, another one. And so that's strike one against the World Series. Now, there's nothing Rob Manfred could do. He can't outlaw bullpen games or anything like that. But how good of a baseball team are you? When you can't even produce a four-starter. Now, I know a lot of you are sitting there and saying, well, my team doesn't necessarily have a four-starter. Well, there's a reason why you're not in the World Series. is because you don't have a four-starter. And so that's strike one. Strike two to me, we're sitting here, and we're trying to get kids to watch baseball and grow up with baseball. And obviously, trick-or-treating is sporadic. I did my, I, I did my uh, talk yesterday. I said, oh, you know, you take your kids trick-or-treating. Hopefully they have fun. They go out. And, you know, I had zero people in my area. They, they, nobody came by, and then I went out. Um, but if you, in theory, have kids going trick-or-treating, as soon as they're done trick-or-treating, they do the same thing we all did as little kids. You dump your, your haul out on the table, and you go, and you start organizing it, and your parents let you have one or two, you know, candies, and that's about it. And then you settle in for the rest of the night. You know, it used to be where the Simpsons Halloween special was actually on Halloween. Heaven forbid it never actually is anymore. Um, But, like, now we're having these games start later, and kids are going to bed. And to me, if there was not a perfect day for you to have an afternoon World Series game, and when I say afternoon, I mean, like, 4 o'clock. You know, obviously, you could do 5. I know it was in Arizona, but, like, I just feel like you're setting yourself up. It was, a, what was it, an 8 o'clock game last night. So, 8 o'clock game, the kids are either still trick-or-treating or they're done trick-or-treating. They're doing their post-trick-or-treating uh, festivities, and then they're settling into other Halloween things. They're not watching baseball. And so, that's another strike to me. Like, I liked it, and I don't know necessarily how many World Series afternoon games I had. It was more probably our parents that had afternoon World Series games. And your ratings are going to be different too, but it's not like your it's not like your ratings are good right now anyway. So I feel like yesterday would have been the perfect time to have an afternoon baseball game for the World Series. And then three, baseball does a terrible job of marketing its stars. Now I can't fault them completely here because if I ask the common baseball fan who are the stars in this series. Some of them may struggle. They'll be like, oh, Max Scherzer. Well, I mean, Max Scherzer's washed up. He's not a star anymore. So you sit there and you look at Texas. All right, it's Corey Seager. Corey Seager was a Dodger. But, like, Corey Seager is never in a commercial. Corey Seager is never doing any crossover things. We don't see him at football games. He's not a Twitter presence. He's not a – I don't. I assume he's not a TikTok presence. I'm not on TikTok, so I don't know that sort of thing. Like, there's nothing that can latch the common fan on to Corey Seager. Uh, and then you look on the Arizona side. I couldn't tell you anybody who's a star on that side. Corbin Carroll is going to win Rookie of the Year, but can you? is he a dynamic superstar type that people will want to tune in and watch? And I think it's funny. There's two sets of people. There's people like me who said I'm not watching, 
And then there's the people on the other side who are like, oh, you're missing out. And then after the first game, they're like, oh, it's going to be a great series. And then, you know, this funny thing is those people are really quiet right now. They're not really saying anything. The people who are, like, waving the flag for baseball, they're like, uh, yeah, maybe this series should just end. And the funny thing is I don't think Rob Manfred cares. I don't think he cares. I think Rob Manfred is a commissioner in name, but I think he doesn't care about the sporty commissions. I think Roger Goodell would be furious right now. I think Adam Silver would be furious. I'm guessing uh, Steve Bettman, or whatever his name is, Gary Bettman, is, would probably be furious. Rob Manfred, I don't think, cares. Remember, this is the same guy who called the trophy a pile of metal. So, like, I don't think he really cares that his World Series, his, tri- his dynamic World Series, that's supposed to be the end of the season and get everybody watching, is doing horrific ratings. I don't think he cares. You know, NASCAR wants great ratings for the Daytona 500. They want a clean race. They don't want the big crash unless they think that, the you know, the crash is going to get uh, more viewers. I think whoever – I don't even know who the commissioner is. I don't even know if there is a commissioner for NASCAR. Whoever it is, the president, whatever. Like, I, I, I bet you if they get bad ratings for one of their larger races, they're very concerned. I don't think Rob Manfred cares. Um, so give me your thoughts on that. By the way, as I've done a poor job doing, we have the World Series here on 1061 ESPN. As I always say, you never think you're in the car for something like that. But if you are in the car, you now know that the World Series will be on 106.1 ESPN. Could be the final game of the baseball season. We could be done with baseball after tonight. And I think some people would be like, good riddance. Let's end the season and start things over. Uh, Before I go to break, AJ, am I wrong on any of the things that I just said? I think it's an opinion. That means yes. You disagree, and we can revisit I think, this. I think there's a there's a, a decent amount of people that would disagree with you, and I think there's plenty of people who kind of agree with you. Yes, I, I'm oh sure, and the guy who's usually on from four until six, he's off today. He would disagree with me. I have not watched baseball, and now look, I think it also, and we'll get to the break in just a second. I think part of it's also if the Phillies didn't lose to the Diamondbacks, I think it, my opinion would change. But it doesn't change the fact that I hate a bullpen game in Game 4 of the World Series. Here's what I think. The two best teams that are in the World Series, respect is earned. I mean, I don't think they're the best teams, but that's fine. I think they're the hottest teams. I think Arizona is the hottest team. If you think Arizona is the best team in the National League, I, I don't know what to tell you. Right. Atlanta is the best. If you're team talking in the about National like League. bats getting frozen and all that, well, then isn't that a flaw in the sport? Well, there's many flaws in the sport, but yes, you're correct. And this is where everybody who wants to change the, the the series numbers and the format, they have a case because of the fact that this World Series has basically benefited the hot teams. Texas is very good. I have no problem with Texas. It's Arizona. And I'm not saying the Phillies belong either. You could make the case that Atlanta belongs. I'm not even going to say the Dodgers. The Dodgers were a heavily flawed team. Atlanta no looked horrible. Who did? Atlanta. Atlanta didn't even deserve to be in the Phillies series the way they were playing. Well, I mean, look, I, you know, best over 162 games is different than being best over four games. Um, but, I mean, I think Atlanta's better than Arizona, and I think that you just – Arizona rode this – and the, listen, the Phillies did the same thing last year. They were the exact same spot. They were the last seed in the National League, and they went through and they beat everybody and made it to the World Series. The Phillies weren't the best team either last year. They were just the hottest. And maybe that means there should be a format change. If we're rewarding the hottest teams – instead of the best teams. We can revisit this a little later because we have a couple guests coming up. We'll talk a little college basketball, Neil Quinn of the Richmond Spiders, and then we'll talk a little college football with Roddy Jones of the ACC Network. You're listening to 106.1 ESPN. 
We've got you covered. You can find full replays of all our shows and interviews at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here taking up to 4 o'clock. No Bob Black today, but we do have the World Series tonight, Game 5. Could it be the World Series final game? We can uh, get back to our discussion a little bit later on in the show. But also, Monday is the start of the college basketball season for everybody. Uh, that includes the Richmond Spiders. They will host VMI 7 o'clock. Our coverage begins at 630 here on 1061 ESPN. Joining us now, the center of the team, one of the veterans. Uh, joining us now is Neil Quinn. Neil, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well, Neil. Before we get to the basketball and everything, how was your Halloween? Uh, did you get a chance to uh, dress up yesterday? Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't uh, necessarily celebrate yesterday, but uh, this weekend I, I definitely did. Um, I was a mechanic. Are there a lot of costumes for seven-footers? No, nah, that's why you got to make do with what you can. <laughs> Uh, so, Neil, obviously we've heard, you know, in, the, in these preseasons there's a lot of secret scrimmages. Um, How did the team look? You guys played Florida International. You guys played Virginia Tech. How do you think you guys came out of those two games? Yeah, I think we uh, we definitely learned a lot from them. Um, you know, obviously we're trying our best to win the scrimmages, but also we're trying to figure out rotations, uh, matchups, and, you know, certain plays that we think will work. So I think it was a very good learning experience, especially with a group of guys I haven't played together much at all really so it was great to just get on the court with these guys and figure out where everybody fits we all hear about uh, building chemistry on the court and obviously that's very important what do you guys do as a team off the court are you guys uh you you do a lot of exercising off the court you play video games how are you building chemistry away from the court yeah i mean we we pretty much just hang out with each other all the time um you know we the older guys live in apartments so a bunch of the younger guys and stuff we all hang out at each other's apartments bunch of guys have dogs, so we all bring the dogs over, and it's kind of just like a giant little uh, little hangout. So, I mean, it's great. We all just hang out together. It's uh, it's different than some of the other teams I've been on. Uh, obviously, you did not start your career with the Spiders, so you're familiar with the transfer process. There are several new transfers on this team. What's some of the advice that you're giving these guys who are coming over to the Spiders for the first time? Yeah, to uh, really just be confident. You know, you, you were brought here for a reason. Uh, the coach staff has a lot of trust in you. Um, we all have trust in each other. Um, and just, you know, don't, I mean, obviously find your spot in the offense and, and learn what we're trying to do and, and learn the scout and learn the defense. But mostly just go out there and, and you, know, you know, be who we want you to be and, and uh, be confident and attack every game because we need everybody. Uh, what did you spend your offseason working on? Where did you, uh, what were some of the finer points that you worked on in the offseason? Yeah, so for me, it was, you know, three-point shooting. Uh, I worked a lot with Grant and TJ this summer, um, you know, particularly with, like, uh, little shorter shots, just, like, working on my touch. And then with Coach DeMeo and, and Coach Andy, our, our trainer and uh, strength and conditioning coach, I'm just getting my body better. I think that's – and it's shown in scrimmages, getting more rebounds and stuff like that. Obviously, you never fouled out last year. How important is it to make your fouls count? There's guys behind you. There is some size on this team behind you, but you are a very important part of this roster. How do you kind of decide mentally when you want to foul somebody and when you might want to let someone go because you have to preserve the fouls you have? Yeah, I mean, that's a a tough situation. I mean, we try to practice without fouling um, and try to not put ourselves in positions where we need to foul. Um, But... 
to be honest with you, I don't really think too much about it. Uh, I try not to give up easy layups. So uh, just, I've been taught my whole life to just stay straight up, and so we'll see how some of the rule changes affect that. But I think it'll be great, and just you know, try not to foul. But if you have to give one up, don't be afraid. you got guys behind you. You obviously had a really great opportunity this offseason to play with the Irish national team in, in the FIBA Eurobasket pre-qualifiers. Uh, you put up some solid numbers. What was it like to play in something like this, and how much experience from that can you carry over to, to college basketball? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a great experience. Uh, playing for your country, is it, it's just different. Um, it was like a great amount of pride, you know, having family seeing me there. and um, But, yeah, I think just stuff that I learned from the game, um, some of it is just different, you know, depending on the rule changes and stuff like that. Some of it wouldn't really translate too well, but I think it was more just like being able to play this summer at a really high level with, you know, professional guys was really what was important for me this year. And then obviously going forward, learning that style of offense um, will be beneficial down the road. But I think it was just to stay tuned and to keep working this summer. That was big for me. Isn't one of the differences in the rules there's more goaltending or at least goaltending that would be called in college basketball is not necessarily called in, in overseas basketball? Yeah, so if the ball hits the rim, the defense can knock it off and the offense can tip it in. So normally there's like the cylinder um, that they call. Like if the ball's still on the cylinder, then you can't put it back in. But we actually won the game because – one of our teammates, the, the, he shot a layup, and the ball was hanging on the rim, and I tipped it back in to help win the game. So, I, I mean, that was the biggest difference, I'd say. And then people would try and tip your – if you shot a free throw, they'd try to tip it off the rim. But it didn't really happen too much. It's rare, but it definitely does happen. One of the best parts of your season last year was you were one of three of the players that played in every single game. How do you attribute your durability? Like, Do you do extra things to take care of your body pre- and post-game that you're able to be so durable? Yeah, um, I definitely credit Andy and, and Coach DeMeo with that. Uh, we do a lot with the lifting and you know, on the days off that we have, coming into the training room, making sure we get – uh, our bodies right and taken care of. So I definitely credit them a lot to my durability. There's a lot of freshmen and some sophomores in this on this team. How important is it for you to be not just the really good guy on the court, but also to be the leader off the court? I mean, it's everything. Um, the you know coaches have talked to me. TJ and Grant told me that you know it, it really depends on me uh, to be a leader for this team. I'm the I'm the most you know veteran Richmond guy pretty much and. My voice has to mean a lot, and it has to be heard. So it's really up to me to to, to determine, you know, how good this team's going to be. So I'm looking forward to that challenge. It definitely means a lot that the coaches and stuff have a lot of trust in me to make sure that we get there. Are you more a do what I do type leader or do what I say type leader? Uh, I think you obviously need a mixture of both. Um, you know, like the voice needs to be heard, but. You know, if your actions don't, you know, line up with with what you're saying, then people are going to have faith in you. And uh, I don't, I don't really believe in the do what you say type thing. It's more of you know, follow my actions, and then if I tell you to do something um, that we need done, then definitely do it. Monday night is VMI, and obviously these early games uh, on the schedule, you don't know necessarily a ton about these teams. There's some players that come in. There's some players that come out. You don't know the systems they run. What are some of the keys to having some success in these early games when you may not know completely the game plans and everybody you're going up against? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it is, you know, making sure if we don't know what they're doing, then we have to be certain to know what we're doing, uh, run our stuff and, and have trust in our offense. And then also for me personally to be aggressive, to get shots up, um, you know, I, I need to get about uh, looking at the my predecessor stats, you know, at least eight, nine, ten shots a game. So that's something I, I'm going to work on and, and try to, you know, demonstrate early that I'm being aggressive and then let that carry on to the season so that teams know when you play Richmond, you got to worry about Big 32. That said, what do you at least know early on about the key that's your first opponent? Um, not much. We're going to watch film on them probably uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I'm not really too sure. I mean, when we played them last year, I think it's probably a whole different team, just like how we are. Um, and they had, I think, the new coaches last year, so I, I don't really know like what their culture is like. Um, but I, I'm sure they'll they'll be you know hungry. They've been practicing just like everybody else, and, and they're trying to come in here and try to get a win. So we got to make sure we knock that off. Obviously, the preseason predictions don't mean anything, but the preseason predictions have you guys lower in the standings. Do you use that as a chip on your shoulder, bulletin board material? Um, yeah, I mean, I think no one really cares too much about the rankings, um, especially nowadays when rosters are entirely new for the most part. So, um, But we, yeah, we definitely look at that as, as a little bit disrespectful. Um, but, yeah, we're going to use that as fuel for sure. Uh, we're not going to finish as low as they think we are. Uh, Monday night, 7 o'clock, Richmond hosting VMI at the Robin Center. Our coverage begins at 6.30. We are your home for Richmond Spiders basketball. Uh, Neil, good, uh, good luck this season, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, uh, that is uh, Neil Quinn of the Richmond Spiders. They have VMI on Monday, and they have Siena Saturday. Those are their only two games uh, next week. They are both at home. VMI is 7 o'clock tip. Uh, Siena is at 8 o'clock, obviously, to make uh, room for the football game that will also be taking place on that Saturday. So uh, it'll be a double dip of uh, Spiders Athletics here on our airwaves. Uh, all right, let's take a timeout. By the way, VCU fans, Zeb Jackson will be on the show tomorrow at 3.15. Did the interview earlier today. We will play it tomorrow at 3.15. But let's take a timeout. Coming up, we'll talk a little ACC football and a little JMU football with a guy who's getting familiar with the Dukes, uh, having done some of their games and uh, you know getting to broadcast what they do. Roddy Jones of the ACC Network will join us. We'll get his thoughts on the scheduling model and what he's seen so far from the ACC. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. For the Dallas Cowboys all season is 1061 ESPN. Brought to you by Arthur's Electric and Park and Go. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN at Joseph's here. Uh, we did not get a chance to catch up and talk about uh, the ACC scheduling rotation. Uh, I've got some thoughts, and we'll certainly get into that. It's a large game for the Hokies this weekend. They uh, travel out to Louisville to take on the, the Cardinals. We'll get into that matchup and a whole lot more. You can see this guy on the ACC Network. He's one of the best they got, and it's always good to catch up with him. And soon he's going to be an official member of Harrisonburg for as many times as he's seen James Madison, it feels like. Uh, joining us now is Roddy Jones. Roddy, how's it going? I'm fantastic, man. Appreciate you having me, man. Uh, before we get to the ACC stuff, Roddy, how impressed were you when you were able to catch up and watch James Madison? How awful is what the NCAA is doing to them this year? James Madison has been really impressive. Like that defense, particularly that defensive front, um, could stand up with a lot of Power Five teams. I mean, you know, I think if you put it in the ACC. 
you'd be looking at, I don't know, at least a mid-tier group, maybe higher than that. Um, and then offensively, they're good enough. You know, they're good enough to get the job done. And what the NCAA, you know, the NCAA has its bylaws and its rules, and I understand why they have had them in the past. It's just so slow to change that it feels like the rules are, are incredibly antiquated, like they're they're – built for a different time when schools needed multiple years to ramp up to FBS football and schools needed multiple years without the pressure of, hey, we have to make a bowl game. It's like, no, you guys are ineligible for a bowl game, so it doesn't matter. You don't have to spend exorbitant amounts of money in the first couple of seasons. You can sort of slowly get yourself there. That's not the case anymore. These schools prepare for years in advance. These schools know what it takes, and a lot of times you have coaches that have Power 5 experience, like Kurt Signetti at Alabama. So, you know, I, I think it's it's a shame. Um, I hope they continue to win, and it puts pressure on the Sun Belt and the NCAA to allow them to participate in the championship game and then eventually potentially in the New Year's Six. But we'll see. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a real shame. The first college football rankings came out yesterday. Did you have any problems with any of the ACC teams and where they landed? Well, there are only two of them, so so not not really. Um, I thought Florida State would be four or five, and they ended up at four. Louisville, I knew it would be somewhere in the teens. I didn't think they'd be higher than, you know, maybe 12. Um, but I, I didn't really have an issue with it. And then in terms of the other ACC teams, you know, I can't make a strong case for North Carolina after losing to Virginia and Georgia Tech in back-to-back weeks. Miami, again, a loss to Georgia Tech. Um and then, uh, and then, you know, the, obviously the loss to to uh, to, uh, to North Carolina as well. So their 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 wins just haven't stood up in the case of Miami and 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 North Carolina in a way that should boost them into the top twenty-five. And then you look at Duke. Like we all looked at that that win against Clemson for Duke at the beginning of the season and touted it as this, you know almost resume-defining win, well, Clemson's 4-4. Four and four, So that win isn't, doesn't count as a win over a team over 500. certainly not a ranked win. And while if you dig a little deeper with Clemson, they are still a good team. Um, you know, those wins just aren't sexy. So there's not a lot to go to bat for with the ACC in the rankings. What do you make of what's going on with the Tigers? Obviously, the rant that Coach Dabo went on and his coach's show has gone viral. Some people think it was a plant. Um, they're just not playing good football right now, and they're not used to having this many losses in this part of the season. What do you think's going wrong for them? Yeah, um, they are not playing good offensive football, and they're not playing great special teams football. The defense has been phenomenal. That defense allowed 202 yards. NC State last week, and one of them, and and seventy, I think seventy four of them, seventy two of them came on Casey Concepcion's. Uh, what eventually ended up the game winning touchdown, like a missed tackle, is what caused that. Before that, you know, or, or you take that out, and it's like one hundred and thirty yards on on you know forty seven plays or something like that. Like it's tremendous defensive stats, like defensive stats that anybody in the country would certainly stand up for. They allowed uh, – so that was one of the touchdowns. They allowed a pick six. That was another one of the touchdowns. So, like, two plays, one of them's a missed tackle on one player on the defense. The other one's a pick six. And you're talking about a defense that gave up seven points and 130 yards in the game. That's not how it's played. The, the thing that's going on with Clemson is that their offensive talent is not good enough to overcome the turnovers that they've had. That's as simple as I can put it. Now, 
why is that offensive talent and where is that offensive talent not as good? That's the further discussion. But this is a team, like, on a play-in, play-out basis, is an average offense with an elite defense and okay special teams, which should put them in the top 25. Now, you add in the, you add in the turnovers and the timeliness and the place that those turnovers happen, multiple fumbles on the one-yard line, late-game decision-making. That's the kind of stuff that's gotten them beat. And they don't have a good enough talent to overcome those types of things anymore. But nobody does. Do you think their record's drastically different if DJU's still there? No. No, not really. I mean, maybe the in-game scenarios are a little bit different. Um, DJU probably hands off to Will Shipley in those two scenarios. Uh, Florida State in overtime and then, uh, and then uh, in Miami um, as well. So, 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 you know, if you take that one play, maybe. But, like, what is DJU going to give you in the in – the, um, flow of that offense. I don't know. It's tough to tell. It's neither here nor there. DJU's playing great at, or at Oregon State, and Kate Klubnik has shown flashes, but uh, but he hasn't been super consistent. Tommy Roddy Jones of the ACC Network. Follow him on Twitter at Roddy Jones Twenty. Let's talk about the Hokies. They're four and four in the season, but this matchup they have this weekend is for second place in the conference. They're traveling out to Louisville. What kind of shot you give the Hokies in this one? I think they've got a decent shot. The thing about Louisville is, is apparently the place to catch Louisville is, is uh, when they're on the road. They have not played as well on the road as they have at home. They seem very comfortable in whatever that stadium's called now, L&N Bank Credit Union Federal something stadium, something like that. But um, this is a Louisville team that offensively has created big plays, and the Achilles heel for Virginia Tech has been giving up big plays, particularly in the run game. They've been better at that recent weeks. Um, but they also haven't played a Rasheen Ali or a Jawar Jordan-level running back uh, in the last few weeks as well. So I, I give them a decent shot. Kyron Jones has given them a shot in the arm on the offensive side, but Louisville's defense has probably been the most consistent part of that team this year. So uh, I give them an okay shot, but, but uh, I would favor Louisville in the game, and I'd, I'd probably pick Louisville to cover as well. Uh, Virginia has the dreaded 2 o'clock CW game. The only reason why I say it's dreaded is because the underdog is either covered or won every game so far. Georgia Tech is the underdog in Charlottesville. The question is, I feel like, is which Yellow Jackets team is going to show up? What do you make of this game on Saturday? Well, there's some things that are going on with the Jackets this year that we have to pay attention to. One, they have won all their even-numbered games and lost all the odd-numbered games. They won game two, game four, game six, and game eight. Lost game one, three, five, and 7. This is game 9, so that bodes well for the Cavs. Uh, secondly, Georgia Tech doesn't win in Charlottesville. It just doesn't happen. Like They're like 4 and 14 since they started going to Charlottesville. It is incredible, the records. And those are some good – I played on a good Georgia Tech team that went up there and lost. So um, that is another thing that checks off a box for the Cavs. Uh, the thing that makes it dangerous is Georgia Tech is scoring in bunches now. So there's the potential that Georgia Tech just goes off offensively and makes this an absolute uh, track meet. But Virginia's got the better defense. Statistically, Georgia Tech's defense is the worst in the ACC. And Virginia's been good on offense. So um, I think it's going to be a close game. I don't know what the number is. I think Georgia Tech might cover, but like history would suggest that Georgia Tech won't win in Charlottesville in an odd-numbered game. 
Uh, Miami and NC State, uh, it's an intriguing game, obviously. It's potentially probably an elimination game for one of these two with regards to the conference race if they're not eliminated already. NC State gets the win against Clemson. Uh, Miami gets the nice overtime win over Virginia, although it probably shouldn't have needed overtime. Uh, what's your thoughts on this one in Raleigh? You know, I don't really know what to make of Miami offensively based on what I saw last week. Miami did not run a play in the Virginia red zone until overtime. It's just an incredible way to win a football game. It shows how good Andres Borregales was. And one of the touchdowns they scored was like a 26-yard run. But it's more fun when you talk about just the red zone. NC State's probably the second-best defense that this Miami team has played, with Clemson being the first. Um, now... NC State offensively last week against Clemson was heavily reliant, as I just mentioned, on the big play. Casey Concepcion was phenomenal. And this Miami defense is really, really good. So can NC State find some offense outside of Casey Concepcion against a really good Miami defense, a defense in Miami that's, that's been tremendous up front, the linebackers have really improved, they've got talent in the secondary, um, I, I don't know. NC State's been tough to watch offensively. So I would favor Miami here, but I think it's probably a low-scoring game. Let's close on this, and we're wrapping up with Roddy Jones of the ACC Network. Always good with giving us his time. The scheduling model did come out yesterday for the next seven years. How long is it going to take you to get used to having road trips to Stanford and Cal on the schedule? <laughs> uh, probably longer than seven years. <laughs> um, yeah, man, like the uh, – you know, these these marriages are made of, of necessity and, and somewhat desperation. Um, Stanford and Cal, they don't fit in what was traditionally the ACC. Um, but I have a feeling that, um, you know, as this thing evolves, we'll see. You know, we have kind of seen every conference go national. Uh, and the ACC now has further options uh, really across the country. So, it's going to take some getting used to. It really is. Um, the thing I will say is, is the interesting thing about the schedule is that the teams that hit Stanford, Cal, and SMU in the early years, year one, year two, are big winners. Um, and so if you have multiple of those teams, especially in year one, then I think you're a massive winner. Um, because you look at what's happened at the top of the American, the teams that were at the top of the American a couple of years ago that moved to the Big 12, uh, Houston has one win. That was a Hail Mary over West Virginia, and Cincinnati and UCF don't have a won a game. Uh, so I don't think it's a stretch to think that SMU is going to come into this conference and struggle um, because it's, it's just different. Like, it's different on a week-in, week-out basis when you're dealing with bodies that are, that are both physically and, from an experience standpoint, more equipped to deal with the Power 5 level. And then Stanford and College is bad. Um, well, I guess Cal's shown some promise, and, and Stanford played – has played some close games, but they're in rebuilding modes. And how many guys transfer because they don't want to make road trips to to Duke and to Syracuse and all that stuff? So, I I, uh, I, I am not going to be able to get used to it anytime soon. And and we'll see if those teams are able to acclimate and be very good. But ultimately, yeah, it's going to be weird an ACC game when when uh, when Stanford and Syracuse hook up. Well, when's the next time we can see you on the ACC network? So I don't really I don't do games on a regular basis on the ACC network anymore. Uh, West Durham moved up to the primetime gig, and I'm with Roy Philpott in sort of an ESPN two package. But uh, but I'll be on there tomorrow uh, doing pregame and postgame for the uh, uh, for all ACC after the Louisville Virginia Tech game. 
Well, Roddy, we always appreciate the time here in Richmond. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, guys. All right, uh, that is uh, Roddy Jones of uh, the ACC Network. And um, he's also on SiriusXM. He was just on today uh, on their SiriusXM channel. And um, so, yeah, we didn't really touch on this. We'll do it real quick here. The 2024 through 2030 schedules got released, the conference schedules. Uh, The conference is preserving Virginia Tech, Virginia, North Carolina, Virginia, and Miami and Virginia Tech. Everything else is fair is fair game. So um, they, I mean, they talked about it a little bit at ACC Basketball Media Day, how they were trying to fit everything like a jigsaw puzzle. Next year, Virginia's hosting SMU, and Tech is going out to Stanford. Okay? Makes no sense to me. This whole thing still doesn't make any sense to me. Then in 2025, Virginia's hosting Stanford and going out to Cal. Tech is hosting Cal. And that's it. So, and then, you know, you can look on the website, 2026, Virginia's hosting Cal and going out to SMU, and Tech is going out to Cal. Um, so, yeah, I, it's it's just really weird. But I'm glad that they're preserving Tech UVA. That's an obvious one. I mean, look, I, you know, Carolina and Virginia is a huge rivalry, and I guess Tech and Miami is a huge rivalry, obviously going back to the Big East days, but I don't know. I, I just um, – it's just going to be really weird seeing SMU, Cal, and Stanford on the schedule in SEC games. Or in bullpen ACC in the World games. Series. Yeah, exactly. It's like having bullpen games in the World Series. Very, very weird. We'll get used to it. It might not be till 30-31. But, uh, yeah, we're going to get very used to that. Uh, 327-0888, that is the phone number. That is the text line. 804 is the area code. Uh, real quick, an update on the lines for this weekend's games involving the state schools. Uh, ODU is a one-point underdog at home against Coastal Carolina. That's gone down from the open at two. Uh, So not a lot of faith in the Monarchs, although the money is coming in on the Monarchs. Tech is a a nine-and-a-half-point underdog at Louisville. It opened up at ten-and-a-half. Virginia is a two-point favorite at home against Georgia Tech. And the the stat is correct. The underdog in the ACC 2 o'clock game on CW is either won or covered every game this season so far. So that's a benefit to Georgia Tech. George Ma- uh, James Madison is a five-and-a-half-point favorite at Georgia State. That's a 3.30 kickoff. That line has stayed pretty stagnant all season, uh, all week, has not moved yet. Liberty is a 17-point favorite at home against Louisiana Tech. Liberty played its only tough game of the season, and now they're going to finish out the year with pretty much easy games other than the ODU game coming up. And I know that some of the ODU fans are like, we're not going to be easy, and maybe you won't. But Liberty's three straight at home and then at UTEP. Liberty's got a very good shot at going undefeated. They did not show up in the college football playoff rankings. It was Air Force and Tulane were the only two group of five teams that were down there, and I believe Tulane was a spot ahead of Air Force, which I don't agree. And by the way, if they were actually going to rank James Madison, I would assume JMU would be ahead of both of them, but who knows? The ranking was all whacked. What? The ranking was all whacked. I didn't like any of it. Well, I think that I, I think that they do some of this stuff, and it's really stupid because I think they do it because they want people to talk about it. People don't need to talk about rankings that don't matter. Like, we still have five, six weeks left before these things change again. So to me, it's like you could rank uh, Temple 1, and I'd be like, okay, well, things are going to change. For those who didn't see, it was Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State. That was your top four. Washington, Oregon, Texas, Alabama, your top eight. Which did you have a problem with? 
a lot of it. I didn't like uh, where Virginia was placed, obviously. Uh, where who was placed? Virginia, Miami. I didn't like. I didn't like where a lot was placed. I'm not the big. I, I'm. I'm not really bent out about the first four. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, and Florida State are the top four teams in the country. You can make a case that maybe Georgia should be one. Ohio State has the best win of the group of four of them. Um, so yeah, and remember, they're all eight zero, which means they play at least four games in the regular season, and they all have potentially a a conference championship game to go. So there's still five left. So I'm not going to go crazy over this uh, or the bottom ones as well. And and Roddy was right. There's only two. Uh, ACC schools in there. Louisville's 13. All right, let's take a timeout. We'll do our final segment. We'll get you set for the show tomorrow. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. Big Al doesn't care how the duck is prepped. I don't care if he eats raw duck. Or what anyone thinks. I don't care about what he thinks. But he does care about what you do from 8 to 10 weekday mornings. So spend that time with him on 1061 ESPN. Welcome back. Final segment here on the show. Uh, a couple of news and notes to get to as uh, we take you. It's a, it is Wednesday. No real noticeable absences. The commanders practice today. A couple of guys got a veteran rest day, so nothing of note there as they get set for the New England Patriots. I mean, most weeks we'd probably have Patriots guests on. We'd focus in on the Patriots. They're just another team now. So, therefore, I don't need to go get, you know, somebody up there to, to tell me about it because they're the, – Command, Commanders are the better team in this game on Sunday. Now it's on the road. They lost two players. Their pass rush is going to be worse. But Mac Jones is not – Sam Howell is better than Mac Jones right now and may end up being by the end of his career. But that's why we're not really focusing in. We're going to do some Commander stuff on Friday with Kevin. But I'm not really focused in on the whole Commanders-Patriots thing. Today some news across the league. Obviously last night – a lot of us woke up to uh, Josh McDaniels getting fired. I sure hope no one else hires him as a head coach. He's really good as a coordinator. I hope that no one ever hires him as a head coach again. You know, it's just it's just one of those things where he's a really good coordinator, but he's not a head coach. And with everything that happened on Monday Night Football, there was no reason to bring him back. And... Not to bring this back to the commanders, to bring up an old argument, but you saw yesterday. I mean, AJ, if the, if the, if the Raiders have no shot for anything, this is a lost season. But yet the Raiders fired their coach, their general manager, and their offensive coordinator, and the commanders, after an embarrassing Monday night, uh, Thursday night game, did absolutely nothing. Yeah, it but the Raiders, I mean, it just looked like a rerun of a show I've already seen every year. And it has. But the ownership group and the people said, you know what? We're not going through this again. We're going to do something about it. Whereas Josh Harris did nothing other than trade away two players, which is good. I Don't get me wrong. It's very good. Um, but the Raiders actually did something about it, and the commanders didn't. Uh, so we're looking this weekend, potentially. Taylor Heineke is, is going to start for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Aiden O'Connell is actually going to start. That's another move that Las Vegas made. Aiden O'Connell is going to start for the Raiders. Um, he made my burrito Will Levis at Chipotle is, yesterday. Ah, there you go. Um, Will Levis is going to start uh, against the Steelers tomorrow. Josh Allen did not practice yesterday uh, today due to a shoulder injury he was dealing with. Uh, Daniel Jones, it looks like, is going to return this week. Deshaun Watson is practicing today. Some of the guys that are um, 
playing this week in the NFL. A Jaron Hall is going to start for Minnesota. I was talking to somebody, and I'm just floating this out there. If you're still in your survivor pool, like I want to take Atlanta this weekend. They're hosting Minnesota without Justin Jefferson, without Kirk Cousins, with this Jaron Hall guy who was really good at BYU, uh, a starting quarterback. But like I can't trust Atlanta. And I don't want to go home and lose my – if people ask, like, hey, how did you lose your survivor pool? Oh, I took Atlanta. They'd be like, yeah, you deserve to lose. What did we say? Do I, not bet on Atlanta. I mean, I'm just saying. This is the thing. But, like, it makes sense. Minnesota is a bad football team right now. They don't play defense. Atlanta's got the better defense. That's uh, if, why if, if the I, rule is the rule because it does uh, make sense, but it bites us in the butt every time. I know. If I knew that Arthur Smith would give the ball to Bijan 25 times a game, I would definitely do it. He's never going to do it. And that's another reason why I can't bet on Atlanta. So I'm probably going to end up taking New Orleans against Chicago. But we'll see. There's still time to decide that. But a lot going on in the NFL. Thanks to our guest today, Roddy Jones of the ACC Network. Uh, You can see him on ESPN2, the Saturday uh, college football package with Rory Philpott. And um, you can listen to him on SiriusXM. And uh, we always appreciate the time. Neil Quinn, the Richmond Spider, he joined us as well uh, to get us previews for the season coming up with the Richmond Spiders. They start their season on Monday. Uh, Coming up tomorrow, as I mentioned, Zeb Jackson of um, the VCU Rams. He will join us. I did that interview today. You'll hear it tomorrow. And uh, we'll, we'll work on some other stuff as well for tomorrow. And then Friday, Tim Murray and Kevin Sheehan. Thanks to AJ back at the studio. Back tomorrow, 3 to 4, 106.1 ESPN.